So as we continue this morning in 1 Peter, we left off at um, around verse 12. And so we will pick up there. And it's what we've seen is that Peter is writing to the dispersion. They are under tremendous persecution. And Peter is reminding them, so far we've seen him remind them of the great salvation that they have. That these were things that the um, prophets spoke about in the Old Testament. These things that Christ has accomplished. The great salvation that they have now. And the salvation that we will see this morning that is so great that even angels long to look into it. Now, we were talking pretty extensively last week about the prophets looking into this, uh, prophesying about the salvation. And we're going to linger a little bit longer on that because there's, there's some things that are very important in here. Um, and so, let me have a volunteer to read verses 10 through 12. Okay, great. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels Okay, so he starts out this paragraph saying concerning this salvation, this salvation that is uh, brings them hope, and this salvation that they should be rejoicing with joy inexpressible, this salvation that cannot fade away, is imperishable, is kept in heaven for them, that's their inheritance. So concerning this salvation, the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied about the grace that was going to come to them. And it's what's amazing about this is what they were prophesying was these were Jewish Old Covenant prophets that were prophesying of the grace that would come to these Jews and Gentiles in the New Covenant times And it was revealed to them that it wasn't themselves they were serving, but they were serving this dispersion, which is composed of both Jews and Gentiles. They did not like what they were prophesying. Most likely, we know of at least one that didn't like it, and that was Jonah. God told him to go to Nineveh, and Jonah says, not so fast. I ain't going. (laughs) But he did end up going, and he hated the fact that they were converted. It just killed him. He'd rather die than see a Gentile come to faith. So the things that would really bother the prophets of the Old Testament, prophesying about what was coming to these people, was, number one, that the Messiah would have to be put to death. They didn't like that. That wasn't their idea of a Messiah. Messiah dying. And then, and on top of that, through suffering the Messiah would be glorified. So he would suffer and he would die. They wanted a conqueror that would kick the Romans out. 
And then the third thing that they wouldn't like was that this would bring salvation even to the Gentiles. And we don't see that only in, in uh, Jonah, but we see many prophecies in Isaiah that we just studied that prophesied of Gentiles coming into the kingdom. And we have the Spirit of Christ in the Old Covenant prophets was making predictions about what Christ himself would do. So Christ was informing them of what would happen to Christ. And then we look at Luke 13 where Jesus tells the Jewish leaders there that they're going to a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the Gentiles in the east, the west, the north, and the south were going to come and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the prophets. They were going to be having a big wedding feast together, table fellowship together with the Gentiles. And you Jews are going to be in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, a couple of other things that I wanted to look into here that I think is important. Before we get there, any questions, comments on anything that we've covered up through here? Now, this salvation, remember when Peter was writing this, there was no New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament. And we've seen here, and we see in Acts chapter 2, that is history by the time this has gone. The message that Peter proclaimed at Pentecost was no different from the message of the Old Testament. It's the same thing. Salvation through Christ, repent or perish. Okay? So all they had was the Old Testament, but even just the Old Testament was adequate. And what I'm trying to get to is that we don't throw out the Old Testament. You throw out so much when you throw out the Old Testament. In fact, I maintain you can't even understand the New Testament. Let's have 2 Timothy 3.15 read. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay. If you turn to that passage, that's what you'll see in 2 Timothy 3.15. I'm reading this out of the ESV. Um, But he says from childhood, he's talking to Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now the sacred writings would be the Old Testament. You have been acquainted with the Old Testament, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Even without the New Testament Scriptures like we have available, they will make you wise for salvation. The only thing is they were looking forward to the Messiah, whereas we look back to His accomplished work. So here we have the same message taught by the prophets in the Old Testament that Peter has here. There is no dichotomy between the Old Testament and New Testament. Now, the Old Covenant prophets were proclaiming the same thing, and I think you had that last week in your notes. Okay. The Old Covenant prophets were proclaiming the same as what the New Covenant preachers are proclaiming to them. They were ministering the same things that are now being reported. The same things are taught in the New Testament 
as in the Old Testament. However, they are to a fuller degree in the New Testament. Peter's message in Acts chapter 2 is no different than what the Old Covenant prophet message is only fuller, filled out. Remember the heretic Marcion? He said the God of the Old Testament was mean and heartless and nasty. But the God of the New Testament is our Heavenly Father and He is loving. <clears throat> well, the, we still have a lot of that in this country, I believe. That the Old, Old Testament God, you know, they won't come out and say it, but that the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament God. I have heard that so much. All right, anything else on that? Bill? Yeah. Pastor friend of mine used to know, he, uh, in order to emphasize the point you're getting at, he recommended that you tear out the pages in your Bible that say Old Testament and New Testament. And there's a blank page at the beginning of, for, for Matthew, and it just says, it starts out, it says Holy Bible, you start with Genesis, and you go right through to Revelation. He pointed out, he said, you know, when you, you end at the book of Malachi 4, and then the next thing you see in Matthew is a genealogy. Like the genealogies in you know the Old Testament, yeah. So that was his way of saying it's all one book. Yeah. There's really no separation in terms of it's one united story. I mean, we know there's some discontinuity, but um, I haven't done that. But that was <laughs> well, even the gospels, even Jesus was operating in the Old Testament system, so, so that could really be considered Old Testament, really. Look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah, the New Testament wasn't inaugurated to the end of his life. John was the last old covenant prophet, and John prophesied during the time of Jesus. <clears throat> okay, good point. <coughs> All right, now we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. How many persons are in the Godhead? Who's the third person? Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah. The third person is the Holy Spirit. Well, I thought you said the second. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I answered the wrong question. <laughs> okay. Right yeah. answer wrong question. That's right. <laughs> I thought you were just trying to test us to see if we knew anything. <laughs> Somewhere is 5 o'clock, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So the Father... Now that, that means the Holy Spirit is inferior, right? The Father is the most important. He's first, right? The Son's the second. He's a little bit inferior. And then we have the Spirit, far inferior. Hmm. No. Right. Okay. Wrong. <laughs> I, won't, I may not be up here teaching next week. But anyway, <laughs> that's, right. um, that's just the order, logical order of it. Theological order of it. They are the same in substance. They are equal in power and glory. Each one of them are fully God. Each one of them are fully indwelt by the other. So they are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Alright, so in your notes here, the Holy Spirit is sent from heaven. What is the unique property of the Father? 
questions get a little bit tougher, huh? <laughs> he is not begotten, and he does not proceed. What's the unique property of the Son? He is begotten. Not made, but begotten. What's the unique property of the Spirit? He is... Huh? He proceeds. He proceeds, right. <clears throat> or he is sent from heaven. <clears throat> All right, he is sent by both the Father and the Son. It is noted in verse 12 that we just had read, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And this is the Spirit of Christ. Uh, now, he comes from heaven. Read John fourteen twenty six. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Father, according to this verse, sends in the name of Christ. He sends the Holy Spirit. And he will teach the apostles all things and bring to remembrance everything he said. And then go over one chapter, down into verse, to chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Okay. <clears throat> so we, we've used this verse before to show that Christ interprets Christ in these new covenants. New Covenant epistles. Christ interprets Christ through the apostles. The Father sends the Spirit, and we see that the Son sends the Spirit also. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, just like we say in our Nicene Creed. Um, the Remember, Christ was crucified. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And then at the day of Pentecost, he sends the Spirit into, his, into the church. So the church has the Spirit of Christ that is sent from the Father and the Son. He doesn't proceed from the Father only. Uh, the Greek Orthodox um, thinks that he proceeds from the Father only, but he does not bypass the Son. Um, there's the continuity there, the sameness of what the Spirit teaches and what the Son teaches. It is not something different. All right. That's all I'm going to say about the Spirit, unless we have any questions or comments. All right. And the final part of this will be angels. What is an angel? A messenger. Okay, good. A messenger. And they minister to us, right? According to Hebrews 1. <clears throat> okay, we found the page here. In your notes, it says another indication that this salvation is so wonderful is that the angels long to look into it. That's the last phrase in this passage that we're looking at. 
the Holy Spirit is sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And the, the verb there indicates they're kind of straining their necks to look in it. Same word was used by um, the Apostle John, I believe it was, when he was telling about either Peter or John, I forget which one it was. They were looking into the tomb at Jesus' resurrection and they were straining to try to see Jesus in there. So it's a long, hard look is what that would be. Well, angels long to look into it. They're straining to see it. <clears throat> so we have both the prophets and the angels that are amazed at this salvation <clears throat> that we have that Peter has been talking about. Two things to remember about these angels. These angels are sinless creatures. These angels are talking about looking in to this salvation. They have no need of salvation. They, don't, they didn't sin. So you would think they wouldn't really care except for the fact that they are sent to be our ministers. And, you know, you kind of wonder why they didn't have the attitude. Well, they're sinners. Let them all go to hell. Who, who cares? But no, it, these things were important to the angels. It, it amazed them, even though they're sin, sinless creatures. And then, number two, this gospel is not offered to fallen angels. Another reason angels could have been really not too happy with their salvation. They didn't have any salvation offered to their fallen people. Did you say something? So you hear about elect angels. Right? Is that in Westminster? That's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Elect angels. Yeah. But it's not elect in the same sense that Christ died for them. Right. They were elected. Best I understand, they were elected not to fall, not to rebel against right. God. But they're not in Christ. Right. They don't have a mediator. Christ was a was fully man. So what was that first point? Um, salvate, uh, it amazes sinless creatures. They have, no, they have no need of salvation, and yet it amazes them that a bunch of sinners have salvation. And this gospel is not offered to fallen angels, only to men. Okay, that ends that section. Anybody have anything to add to it? It's a wonderful section there. I don't, <clears throat> I don't know if you've known these people, but I knew somebody that believed in angels but not in God. Yeah. That's pretty strange. Pick and choose. If I can't understand it, I'm not going to believe it. If I don't like it, I'm not going to believe it. That's the attitude that you run into. They don't like the idea of God who's going to judge them, so they're not going to believe that. But the angels that are cute, uh, they, they believe in them. Anything else? All right. Yeah, in fact, she had all these cute little statuettes of angels around her desk and stuff. Yeah. Yep. And just ask her, what are angels for? The Bible says they minister, minister to the elect. Okay. 
Now, the next section, we'll read verses 13 through 16, and we'll just go down the road here. Michelle, if you will read that, 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you who is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Okay. Now, um, we have seen in here persecution comes before glory. They're being persecuted now, but they've been reminded of the glory that's ahead of them. And remember, the prophets could not understand this. And one thing new that I want to cover right now is this. Okay, what's the first word there? Therefore. 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 Right. Now, what are you supposed to ask when you see the word therefore? What's it there for? Yeah, what's it there for? <clears throat> okay, um, now... Peter has just given them probably a lot more doctrine than they are really capable of taking in right at that time. But that don't mean you don't still teach it. He has gone through virtually a systematic theology there with them. Telling them a lot of great things. A lot of good theology. Alright, let's look at Romans chapter 12. Now, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, um, Paul has given them a lot of doctrine. <clears throat> and somebody that doesn't have the ESD, what's the first word of chapter 12? Therefore. Therefore. In the Greek, I believe it's therefore. So here we have both Peter and Paul giving them uh, a mighty systematic theology. And then he says, therefore. Both of them, we're going to see how to live now. We're going to have instructions on how to live. As some commentators put it, we go from the indicative to the imperative. Something that is a statement of fact to something that therefore you have to do. So we're going, we're going to see how doctrine leads to life. Doctrine affects your conduct. Anybody that says, I don't care about all that doctrine, I just want to know how to live and how to love, they don't have a clue. According to First Peter, according to Peter and according to Paul, you can't do that. <clears throat> You have to know why you are called to do these things. So we have the first word as therefore. So we're going to see what we're supposed to be doing. So Peter says, in light of this great salvation I have just described to you, 
You need to do the following. Alright, now, we need to realize how important this is. But if you look up for us, Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, and Mike, Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. And whenever you get there, bud, we'll go ahead and read that. Y'all thought we were through with Isaiah, didn't you? I was able to find it, my finger will work. Yeah, I know that feeling. My fingers just don't work either. It takes me a lot longer to get to a passage now than it used to. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. This is the ESV. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes up for, out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sin. God is saying that his word comes from heaven to earth, that it's going to goes out of his mouth, and that it will not return empty, but it will accomplish his purpose. Um, so these people in the dispersion have received the word of God now they've received this doctrine they've heard it and now this word is going to return to God not empty it's either going to harden them they say I don't want anything to do with this foolishness or it's going to soften them up and they'll start living the way God tells them to live alright let's have Isaiah 66 1 and 2 read thus says the Lord heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool where then is a house you could build for me and where is a place that I may rest for my hand made all these things thus all these things came into being declares the Lord but to this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. These people in the dispersion that have a humble and contrite spirit and tremble at these words that Peter has given them, his word is going to return bearing fruit. These are the kind of people that we've got to be when we hear the doctrines of grace preached to us preached or taught to us we have to have a humble and contrite spirit and the attitude that we're going to tremble at his word because we know that that word comes down from heaven out of the mouth of God and it will not return empty so hopefully these people and hopefully us are ready to receive this okay in your notes they are to be ready for action in verse 13. Um, the King James and New King James, maybe the, and the ASV, I don't know about the New American Standard, but it says, gird up your loins. Uh, men then wore these long gowns, and if they had to go out and do some work, or they were going to run a race, or fight each other, they would pull those up and put them in their belt. They would gird up their loins. They would get ready for action. 
prepare, as the ESV says, it's prepare your minds for action. Borrow a quote from Greg Bonson here. I would have lost half of the evangelical church on that verse. Professing Christians would say, you mean what? We have to work? We have to use our minds? You've got to be kidding. Now, we have to get prepared. We have work to do. We have to prepare. We have to get our minds ready for action. We've got to use our minds. So in your notes it says, They are to watch and they're not to be caught by surprise. Um, and actually this Greek word for mind here, it indicates what would, that which guides and directs conduct. So they're to be alert and ready. Uh, for this is also repeated late in the epistle. <clears throat> the mind that controls your conduct. Okay? And so in this verse, Peter informs them that to fight the fight of faith, they must be mentally prepared. They must be sober or self-controlled, level-headed. Level-headed is the idea here. And they're to set their hope fully on the grace to come looking unreservedly to Christ. So we've got hard work, and it's mental work too. We're not absolutely free, as Zane Hodges would say. We are under the authority of God. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are, are to be holy. And in your notes here, it says, Notice that God commands hope now this is not the idea the world has of hope. They don't understand the sovereignty of God, so they, they're just kind of hope so. I hope things go well. But we've got a hope because we have promises from God Almighty who controls all things. We can give a reason for the hope that is in us. An unbeliever cannot give a reason for the hope that is, or not a justifiable reason for the hope that's in them. So prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded, level-headed, and set your hope fully on the grace that has been to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> things are going to be better. These people are justified by faith. They're righteous before God. The world doesn't understand that. They're going to be different from the world. And so they have not yet, the world has not seen the grace that's going to be brought to us until the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then they're going to see that God is with us, that God's grace has been upon us, that they're the ones that are headed for destruction and ignorant, as we will see later on in this passage. They're the ones that are ignorant. Okay, so, um, I don't want to get into verse 14. That's going to take a little bit of time. Um, so I'm just going to hold it here and ask if anybody has any questions or comments.
Okay, Mike, will you close us in prayer this morning, yeah. please? Our Father,